Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time. And the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to The Numbers Game, episode 17. We're talking investments, we're excited, we weren't going to let a lockdown stop us from coming in hot with an episode every Monday. As always, I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are you, fellas? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Jason. We're in lockdown here. My hair's out of control. We've won the Olympics. I mean, Brisbane, well done. It's so exciting. I'm going well. How are you, Nick? Very well, Marty. And apparently, we're going to be one of the first countries, or Brisbane's going to be one of the first cities not to experience a loss by holding the Olympics. So let's just see how that goes. But I'm really excited because we've got a guest today. So this is groundbreaking for us. This is our first, uh, well, yeah, our very first episode where we're not together. Um, and also our very first episode where we're bringing a guest in. So, yeah, really excited for what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, beautiful. I'm going to come into reading the play with a big chat about where our super money went when we all pulled ten dollars or $20,000 out earlier this year or last year. Uh, Marty, what have you got this episode? Well, I'm just going to talk about all things investment, and I've got a, a nice little success story I'm going to chat about today, so I think uh, you'll enjoy that. And myself, BHP, and moving towards, I guess, a greener outlook, and um, it's, a, it's a really good segue to get our guest involved in that discussion as well. Let's play. My favourite segment, Reading the Play, where we bring you all of the interesting things going on in the industry, any news that's caught our eye, and even podcasts and books that we're reading. I'm going to take it away this week, guys, with the episode. Actually, Greg, uh, my lovely business partner, sent this to me this week a couple of days ago. said, Jace, this might be good for Reading the Play, so I didn't have to do too much homework, which was awesome. Uh, it was an article on news.com.au. Uh, it was Aussies who withdrew $20,000 in super have lost around $100,000 by the time they get retirement. So that's kind of the, the main headline of the article. So what it's saying is, Nick, I mean, obviously you guys do this over um, at Innovate in the financial planning land, so maybe you'll have a bit to comment on. But the data was the $20,000 that was taken out, which I'll go a bit of a background, actually. This is actually quite funny. So the idea was you kind of survival, get your ten dollars or $20,000 out and you're going to be able to survive during COVID and the lockdown and you had to prove you'd lost your income. Um, now, while we thought a lot of that money would have gone towards paying down debt and, you know, keeping people, you know, uh, surviving during that period, what the research actually found was that the second biggest area that money was spent on was gambling. So, and in the first fortnight, people got their first $10,000 payment, $3,000 was spent within the first fortnight. And most of it was debt repayments, gambling, or clothing and department stores. So, I mean, from a government stimulus point of view, it probably made sense that, you know, there was a lot of money in the people's pockets and they were able to spend. Of course, that wasn't the government's idea to prop up Dan Murphy's and TAB, but um, that's where we ended up. Um, 
the other side of that as well, which you might be able to comment on, Nick, I'll throw to you in a second, was that 22% of first home buyers that were surveyed said that they used the money that came out of their super fund to help prop up their deposit for their first home. So maybe over to you, Nick, did you see a bit of that? And what are your thoughts on uh, the stats around, you know, $20,000 out now could cost you $100,000, you know, 30 years, 40 years from now? Yeah, look, it's spot on. And there's a few things to talk about here. Um, and we could actually spend a whole episode on this. But I think the first thing is, as far as the government's concerned, is uh, just this the ease at which you could you could pull that 10000 out. Um, you know, very similar to JobKeeper. Um, it was a self-declaration. So you basically logged on to the MyGov website, declared that you'd had an issue, and that money um, was released from your super um, in two ten thousand uh, doses. So I think that's the first issue. But at the same time, how does the government, you know, they were, they were scrambling for answers and scrambling to, to try and get solutions. So, you know, it's not easy to implement a process uh, where they could actually assess people on their merits. And look, they're saying now that they're going to come back on people, uh, the ATO is, but let's, let's see where that goes. So that's, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is they're absolutely mad if they didn't think people were going to spend it the wrong way. Um, let's be honest. And it's believe gambling though. Wow. Well, I suppose you're and, bored. You're probably sitting at home with not much else to do. But yeah, how, how, how Aussie is it though? How Aussie <laughs> is it? Well, we're going to rip out twenty and double it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, people are always going to use money how they're going to use it, right? But it's it's amazing, like Nick said, that behaviour is is incredible, really. And I think the thing that underpins all this is, and you know, we talk about this all the time with our financial planning business, but it's just a lack of education. So people understanding the power of compounding and what pulling out that 20,000 is actually going to do over the mm. next 30 years or not going to do over the next um, 30 years. So uh, not educated on compounding um, compounding returns, not educated on superannuation and how it is going to form a big part of our retirement. And, mm. you know, people just looking at their super, you know, they're 25 years old, they've got 20,000 in there. They're thinking, what's that really going to do for me? Little yep. did they know that it's probably going to fund a majority of their retirement. Well, for well, most, of our I think it left it a million people with no balance and closing their super funds. They they basically cleaned their super funds out, which then in long in in turn then meant no insurances in that super fund anymore. Yep. So um, for a million, look, you're imagining they're probably very very young Australians. This is more than eighteen to twenty five. They've had their first job, but they've had almost ten grand put into super, and they've sucked it all out now and left themselves with nothing. So, bit of a concern there, but yeah, yeah. Just thought I'd bring that one up for those at home that that did pull the money out. What actually for an actionable thing on that, Nick? If people did pull money out, and now they're hearing that you know potentially a hundred grand going to be missing out of their retirement fund, how do we reverse that? Is that just obviously putting some more money back in and? Uh, exactly right, but um, you know you could put as much money in as you wanted. But you know if we look at what the stock market's done, um, you, you you're never going to get those investments at the same price that that they were. Um, yeah. You know, particularly if we look at COVID, people have sold down into cash to pull that money out, and they've sold down into cash at at the, the wrong the time. Market. It was when the market bottomed. So um, just quickly, Jace, but on the first homeowner um, deposit and pe- people pulling money out. If you wanted them to pull money out for any reason, that's probably the one reason you would say, okay, well, at least you put it into another asset. Um, yeah. The and we we saw quite a bit of that. But the the thing to remember there is when you when you log on to the uh, to the government website to get the ten thousand out, you have to say that you're in hardship, otherwise you can't mm. get the ten thousand out. So 
you know, the issue we had in our business, and Marty can probably comment more on this, but people came to us saying, oh, I've got another 20000 now in deposit because I pulled it out of super. And then our brokers are saying, well, you've actually declared you're in hardship. Mm-hmm. So you can't just march into a bank now and say you want a loan. So there was a bit of that happening as well. Um, not every bank would accept that. Well, it just really depended on how far the bank went into the into the deposit source, I guess. What about if someone wanted to pay off a credit card debt? Would that like if you look at an eighteen percent on a credit card debt that's been sitting there, is that a good use of it in your mind? Oh look, in that yeah, I guess so, because if you're looking at eighteen percent worth of interest, um, is the market gonna do eighteen percent year on year? Probably not. Um, you know, Nib will probably comment on this um uh, further on, but I if if you're doing it to put into another investment or to pay a debt off, well, that's great. But you know, if you, you know, you, and you've spoke about this uh, um, in earlier podcasts, but that person that's paid the credit card off, there's every chance they're just going to go and run that debt up, debt yeah. up again. So yeah. that's why super is so powerful because you can't touch it, you can't use it to go and pay your credit card off, and you can't mm. do that year on year. So yeah, look, it's it's better than putting it into your lab. You'll have Broke's account, but at the end of the day, we'd much rather it stay in there. And remember, and remember, kids, gambling is built upon a foundation of losers. Said it once, I've said it before. So I've got a story that's uh, look so topical because we've won the Olympics. Uh, nothing to do with the Olympics, mind you, but these are Brisbane-based founders: Andrew Barnes, Chris England, Chris Hood, and Vu Tran would be some very happy Brisbane boys at the moment because their company, Go One has become Australia's latest billion-dollar unicorn. And they've just had a cap raise of 270 mil in Australian dollars, and it values their company in the US uh, at, at a billion bucks. So that's uh, that absolutely incredible. And they started in 2015. So, yeah, that old story, starting out of your garage, these guys legitimately did, and they've started an ed tech company. So it's like an aggregator of online learning, and of course, COVID has just escalated this opportunity. So think about it. Think about it as a Spotify for education. It's um, you can choose your own content as to what you want to learn, whether it's leadership, whether it's uh, personal development, whether it's Blinkist. I know that you're a big fan, Jason mm-hmm. Blinkist, as well. Um, you can do all this through this platform. And what's happening is employers and companies all around the world are realizing that you have to continue to develop your teams, not only in what they do for their profession, but also outside of that on courses of interest. And so they can continue to develop. So you can actually white label your own education program through them for Mm. your company. So you think about governments bringing this in. And I just, I just really thought that, um, it was a really clever idea, and I think it's going to transcend the way we learn, not only within businesses, but I was also thinking um, from you know school kids as well. Anything you're interested in learning about is there. The, the platform of content is quite extraordinary. So I thought that was a really good news story um, for four blokes out of Brisbane that are shooting the lights out uh, globally. So, yeah. That is actually incredible, Marty. That, and thanks for sharing because I love it. Just I literally just clicked on the first one, which was business, went into accounting and finance, and it's got courses on zero bookkeeping for beginners, business finance, and I just think in you know from what I do day to day, seeing a lot of people that don't have a good clear financial understanding of just the basics, P and L, balance sheet, 
how does it all work? And, you know, obviously if we pick Niv's brain on some of this stuff later, we can probably then apply this to the bigger picture of, you know, how to make investment decisions. So that's awesome, yep. buddy. I it's really social, love it, that. They're, doing so, they're making a social impact through online learning. And I, I think this is actually going to change the game. And, yeah, I, I think it's a brilliant oh, idea. Why they got a billion-dollar valuation. <laughs> Change their game. I might actually introduce Niv before I do my ring the play because he's sitting there patiently, just wants to comment. I can tell. Um, so welcome, Niv Dagan. Just a bit of a wrap on you before before I hand over. But um, founder and executive director of Peak Asset Management. Uh, Peak Asset Management is a is a boutique corporate advisory firm, um, helping companies raise capital and list on both ASX and also some experience on the Canadian stock exchange. Um, to date. Uh, Niv and his business has raised over two hundred million in capital uh, for various companies. So welcome, Niv. How are Thanks you today? Thanks for us, guys. I'm going to get you involved on my for, on my reading the play this week. Um, so my reading the play is around BHP and considering the sale of their oil and gas asset uh, assets. So everyone knows BHP, the world's biggest coal miner, uh, is looking at selling their petroleum business for around fifteen million. Um, that business is forecast to 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 make them 2.73 billion this year. So it's a significant asset. But to bring it into context, um, the the total BHP market cap is um, is well and is 146 billion. So you know, pretty small uh, in the scheme of things for BHP. Uh, what do they want to do? This BHP want to avoid being stuck with assets that will become harder to sell as the world moves away from fossil fuels. Um, it's important to note that BHP doesn't depend on its energy business for its profits. It's obviously dwarfed by the iron ore and the copper profits. So uh, great timing as it's, uh, it's in line with around a 60% rally in oil prices in the last year. And I guess this all comes from investors or the pressure to, to, to sell these assets come from investors and you know, wanting a long-term sustainable business model uh, within BHP. So Niv, I know this is very much uh, an area that you're focused in, um, the renewable space. So, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, look, BHP's had a record 12 months, sitting around $51 per share um, in today's trade. And um, they've actually just, um, Nick, launched a, a bid they, uh, with a nickel supply with Tesla, uh, which is a, mm. a major uh, electrical car battery, obviously, based in the, in the NASDAQ. So, look, they are trying to um, call it streamline their underlying business. Um, we've seen a nickel output, 22 million tonnes, uh, which is enormous. Petroleum output is 27 million and um, really um, improved their, their profit margins. But look, I mean, it, it's all about green and, um, and, and the move to zero carbon emissions. And um, there's a lot of focal, and I know we'll talk about the show. So look, BHP, um, record growth, $51.30 per share. And um, All Ordinaries is generating a lot of steam ahead um, with US markets, so here to stay. Niv, thanks for joining us. It's uh, exciting to have a guest uh, or a first guest on our episode uh, ever and doing it from lockdown. So really, really grateful to have you on. Um, I guess for myself, who's had a busy week and hasn't been across everything like I usually would, and for our audience, can you um, start by maybe giving us an understanding of exactly what you do? Just a background, how you got to where you are and and what what it is day-to-day that you're up to. Yeah, Jace, absolutely. So, so my background is more institutional. I, I started um, doing my bachelor with a Bachelor of Commerce and an Honours in Finance. Didn't know what I was going to do and um, travelled around South America. Got a job at Macquarie Bank uh, back in 2005, 2006. And at the time was known as a millionaire's factory because everyone was making so much money before the GFC. Um, for a young guy coming through the ranks, learned a hell of a lot. 
Um, so we're working predominantly with fund managers, uh, global institutional clients, doing more on the research sales, sales trading side. And Macquarie is a great um, stepping stone for a young guy coming through university and um, learned a lot, uh, spent five years there and um, moved to a group called HC Securities. HC Securities were, was a division, was part of the Australian Stock Report. And I was running at the age of 25, 26, got a, got a great opportunity to run the, um, not only the corporate side, but also the trading side. So I learned, learned a lot. Um, and uh, we had uh, a number of clients and um, following different recommendations. Um, but then uh, that business was sold. Um, and I said, look, what am I going to do? And I set up peak asset management. And this is going back to September 2013. So we're nearly eight years old. Um, our whole model, um, Jason and, and Marty and Nick knows, is, is all about co-investment. Um, what that means, we simply don't put opportunities in front of anyone. And those anyone could be your retail investor um, that's buying your BHPs and your Rio Tintos, all the way to your institutions and family offices, unless we're co-investing, unless we're mm-hmm. essentially backing it with our own capital. Um, I, I spent a few years in Canada growing on North American distribution. Um, my, my wife or girlfriend at the time, uh, now wife of three years, said to me, Niv, um, why don't we go to Canada? I said, are you mad? She saw a picture from our next door neighbor. We were living in Middle Park. Um, but look, was, going to Canada was probably the best thing we've ever done. Um, not only obviously from the relationship side, but also from a networking side. So we try to help these companies a lot more than capital. I think raising capital is one thing, but if we can help companies with joint ventures and partnerships and opening doors to different um, angles, help them with the uh, IR, PR, we've got around 30,000 people that get like a morning wrap, afternoon wrap, interviews with CEOs. But we try to get um, really hands-on with the companies and, 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 and we're 100% aligned because Remember, we're taking a big position in ourselves, so we want to make sure that the stock price and the market cap goes up, and that's how we make the majority of our capital. So um, that's a bit about Peak and and us, and um, you know, really excited to be here. So thanks, guys. I love how you uh, co-invest with businesses. I think that's tremendous. And you've already demonstrated, uh, you know, you're a lot smarter than us on the show, which I think is, uh, I think, another wonderful thing. But uh, I got uh, I got a question for you. Innovate and future advisory. You know, we're going ahead in leaps and bounds, mate. When should businesses think about potentially doing an IPO and co-investing? Um, just give our audience some insights in regards to that, because I'm sure that's a question that comes up a bit. Oh, look, IPO is one thing. I mean, and, and you mentioned it uh, today with uh, GO1. I mean, they're, they're a unicorn. You've got likes of the canvas of the world. There's a lot of money on the venture capital f- funds, you know. So Airtree just, I think, deployed over $100 million in the last, you know, 12 months. So there's this huge amount of money on, also for private companies. And, and I'll give you an example. We backed a business called Nico Lab that uses artificial intelligence, machine learning for stroke detection. We did attend to um, IPO the business. Having said that, they remain private. And, and since then, they've got FDA approval, um, CE approval, TGA approval. I just signed Philips as a client. And now they're looking to go into the US market. So I think it's important for companies to understand that, that, you know, that there's a number of angles you can go through. You can either go through the venture capital private round, or you can actually be um, obviously bought out for, through a trade sale or an initial public offering. So what an initial public offering means is you're essentially selling your, your private shares and selling it on, on the ASX or, or a different exchange. Um, there's, there's pros and, and, and cons for, for, for everything. I mean, sometimes as, as, as a listed company, essentially the, the, the pros is that by, by increasing, call it your, your value, and uh, through the news flow, through uh, your market capitalization and execution, then obviously you could uh, t- take your market capitalization a lot higher with a higher market cap, you can also utilize your script, essentially your shares to buy and, and make acquisitions. 
you can also reward your staff. And um, I think staff retention, I know you spoke about that, Jason, Nick, is, is really important these days. So like you're seeing a lot of these listed companies um, apply what's known as an ESOP, which is a, an employee share scheme um, to, to reward their employees, which I think is important. The negative side though of listing is um, you've got a lot of eyeballs on you. There's guys like me that speak to the management teams that ask the hard questions. Every quarter, you have to report your quarterly reports. Um, your competitors can have a look at exactly what you're doing. So I think there's pros and cons for, for, for both sides, whether you are staying private, but also the listed side as well. So based on that, if a business was to go public, um, what does that cost from a, you know, you know, obviously there's a lot of consultants, people like yourself involved. So uh, legal, I guess. So, what are, what are, what's a business looking at? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Nick. I mean, first is first, the, the, the ASX or any exchange will want audited accounts. And those audited accounts, probably you'd have to engage an auditor, cost anywhere between fifty dollars or $100,000 to get your, your accounts audited, depending on the complexity of it. Um, the second thing a company needs to do is appoint some directors. So, um, in order to list on the ASX, you need to have two Australian non exec um, directors, essentially, as a, as a minimum requirement. Normally, non exec directors get paid. Probably three or four thousand dollars a month, and your chairman normally five or six thousand dollars a month. That that's standard, depending on the size. Obviously, your bigger companies like the BHPs and Rios will demand or command significantly higher than that. Um, so that's something to consider. You need to engage a lead manager, like a peak asset management. Essentially, that is a requirement. Um, so a group like us that are under an Australian financial services license, and normally um, on success, we might charge the company a percentage to to raise capital, but also we might charge an ongoing retainer to help with ongoing corporate advisory or, um, or, or, or help uh, throughout the process. Um, a, a company on the, uh, to, to list, you need to, to, to engage a lawyer. Um, and, and, and for that, you need to do what's known as a prospectus, which is essentially an offer document. And what a prospectus does has a bit about the company, has a bit about um, what they're doing, a little bit about their structure, a little bit about the market, a little bit about the capital um, and what it's used for the use of funds, et cetera. So that normally costs um, anywhere between $80,000 to $150,000 to put the prospectus together. And then um, a company also needs to engage a, a company secretary. And what a company secretary is, is really the liaison between um, the ASX, which is the exchange, and the company. So they help um, with anything to do with um, the documentation and, and anything uh, you know ongoing. So the, the, it's, it's a whole project involved. So normally the, the average cost to list the company is anywhere in three hundred to $500,000. That's sort of a norm. So you've got to be a pretty, pretty bloody big company to be starting to think about that then. So oh, look, uh, future, Jason, not, future at Innovate will keep growing for a little, <laughs> little bit longer. You can actually, um, what, what we normally see, um, Jace, is we, we normally see companies engage, guys like us, to do what's known as a pre-IPO round. And that's called it a round to help basically cover the cost of the IPO. So companies may raise 300, 500, a million. Um, so d- depending on the size of the, of the business, obviously, yeah. the larger business, they'll raise more. But um, that they'll do it, undertake it normally a pre-IPO round, and that capital or part of that use of funds is used obviously for working capital, and and the other side could be actually for for paying the, um, you know, all, all the project side. So just um, um, it, yeah. So I was just going to say just just on that need for our listeners. So that's that's known as seed capital, and that would generally um, I guess hold a higher risk than IPO because there's no guarantee that that, that the company will list, and for that you you generally get in at a lower price to what the IPO price would be? Yeah, it's a good point, Nick. Um, there's, that's known as a pre-IPO round or a seed capital round. Now, remember, the, 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 there are a lot of risks um, in coming in that round because if, if the company doesn't list, uh, it's not necessarily for, for, you know, you've lost your money. 
um, you, you essentially are a shareholder of an unlisted um, company, right? So, uh, which is fine. I mean, you know, a lot of these companies don't list and might one day be, you know, bought out or go through the US or a SPAC, et cetera. But yeah, look, I mean, a pre-IPO round that's um, offered normally to sophisticated investors or accredited investors relative to a retail investor. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, an accredited investor is someone that normally has net assets of $2.5 million, earns $250,000 in the last two years, and or um, invests half a million dollars in that one opportunity. So I think absolutely there are, there are risks um, to invest in the pre-IPO round or a seed round, but that, um, that, that's something that um, as an investor needs to take, to take into consideration, absolutely. Again, we probably understand how to get access to those investments, but if people wanted to get involved in that type of investing, obviously they have to be a sophisticated investor and there's some um, there's a few boxes you need to tick to be classed as that. But would they, you know, Google seed investing? Would they be good googling corporate advisory? Obviously, you can assist, but yeah, just in general, it's a really good question. Um, look, we we see a lot of businesses across our desk, so normally an average between. 10 to 20 a week, right? Um, our job is really to uh, critique uh, those investment, investment opportunities and, and to only put opportunities in front of our clients that will co-invest alongside them, right? Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of investments out there. Um, there's a lot of money on the, also on the sideline with interest rates being low and investors are looking for returns. But yeah, look, I mean, my, my, my advice and general advice only is to align yourself with the likes of a peak asset management or groups that have a good track record of taking companies to, to public um, because just investing in a, in a crowdfunding platform, essentially, um, the, the issue is you might be stuck there forever and, and they might not have a, a, a liquidity event or an exit strategy. So it's important for us, and this is one of the things when we do sign these companies up, that we know exactly where the exit strategy is before we enter that position because the last thing we want is we want to have two, three, four, five million dollars of, of, of capital essentially tied for a considerable amount of time. Um, so it is, it is important to work with the companies and, and, and essentially work with the guys like the peaks of the world who do see a lot of companies, but remember they can actually vet if they are a good opportunity or not. To give a real life scenario, if you can, what's been a past investment success story? And in hindsight, what made it successful? What were the attributes that this company showed before listing or, or going through the raise that made it successful? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll go through two examples and, and I'll give... Um, one one private and and one public. I think that that's important. A, a private company that's still private is a company called Build Exact. Um, we first mm. met. Oh, sorry, Build Exact. What it is for for those listening, essentially, is an enterprise solution software for the building industry. So it provides end to end solutions. So if you're a builder, helps with the estimation, helps with the procurement, helps essentially with the invoicing, helps with the whole um, supply chain um, integration, buying the materials, etc. So if you're a small small builder, rather than um, you know, traditionally putting everything on hand and, and writing it down, everything's through the software. So it makes it nice and easy and streamlined. Um, we looked at the business when it was doing about half a million annual recurring revenue. We decided it was a little bit too small. And six months later, they hit 2 million ARR, which is a huge growth. Um, at that level, we, we jumped on a, on a, on a, on a, a call and, um, with, with David Murray. We met, luckily he was in Melbourne. We met David. We introduced about 10 or 15 investors um, for lunch. And we invested about one and a half million dollars in that business at that 16 million pre-money valuation, which was about eight times the ARR. And traditionally speaking, normally SaaS businesses are trading over in eight times ARR, all the way to 15 times, depending on their growth. Right now, um, or they finished last financial year with an ARR of over $9 million. So within two years, they've gone from around 2 million ARR to over 9 million ARR. They received... Um, 
funding from a guy by the name of Lee Jasper. Lee Jasper used to be the CEO of a company called Akinex. Akinex, if you Google it at home, um, got sold to uh, bought by by Oracle for one point six billion dollars. So they they've done a re- an exceptional job to grow not only in Australia and be probably the number one in Australia, New Zealand, but also opening up doors in in the U.S. and European markets. They are still private, um, but they're on track for you know hopefully a significant growth. And at that multiple, we're coming in at sixteen million. Hopefully one day we'll you know exit at one hundred and fifty to two hundred million. So that will be a nice return for investors. In terms of um, a public company, and I think Nick, you were involved in a company called iCandy Interactive (ICI). So, one thing in terms of when COVID hit, um, you, you'd expected a lot of um, uh, people at home, uh, spare time, playing video games, esports. So that was a big. So, so iCandy Interactive is a mobile game developer. They had a game company, uh, a game uh, that was called Musketeers, launching. We knew that it was all public, but what we did is we came out to to the CEO. We came out and 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 basically said to to Kinwa, the CEO, said, look. We like the business. Can we invest in the business? And normally when we do an undertaker placement, for those at home, it's, it's a company that essentially is already listed on the Australian Stock Exchange or Canadian Exchange, let's say, or the US, but we come in at a discount to the last price. So the stock was trading around 2425. We came in at $0.02, cents, so at around that 20 30% discount to the last price. And we also included a one-for-one listed option. Um, for those that don't know what an option is, an option gives you the, the right but not the obligation to actually buy the pr- buy or sell the stock. Um, after Musketeers launch, had a huge run, um, lots of success. I think within the first month, generated over a million dollars of revenues for the company, which is an absolutely enormous for a small cap. Stock went from two cents, hit a high of 24 cents three months later. So investors made some really nice money. The options were listed. So that also provided an extra bonus for investors. And um, a lot of our clients we're very, very happy. So that's sort of two, I'd say, success stories, one in the private and one in the public side. But that's brilliant, Niv. And I've been doing a little bit of research myself over the last 10 years, and I saw uh, 52 companies founded by Australians in the last 10 years are valued at over 100 mil, and 14 are valued over 500 mil on a market cap. But based on those good news stories, and I've presented one today earlier, you must see stories that aren't so good. And I'm wondering what the attrition rate is and maybe if you could give me an example and sort of talk about maybe the fundamentals of why it didn't work because it's always good to know two sides of the story as well. Look, it comes down to management, Marty. I'll I'll be honest with you and skin in the game. I mean, we see a lot of companies out there and probably um, maybe not necessarily mention names as such, but a lot of companies that, that really fail are the companies that A, don't have skin in the game and essentially their operating costs are very, very high, and they have to continuously come to guys like a peak asset management to raise capital. So we're very, very nervous of those type of companies, that companies have maybe have listed, have promised shareholders the world, very, very high op- operating costs, high administration costs, and essentially they're out there to just continue dilute. The issue is with raising capital, every time you're raising capital, you're essentially diluting your shareholder base. You're, you're issuing more shares, and issuing more shares makes it a lot more dilutionary for investors. So Look, we're, we're always nervous about those type of management teams. And it's really important, two things. One is how much skin in the game do they have? Have they paid for their shares? How much money do they um, pay themselves? And, um, and, and what's their track record of deliver, delivering what they say they're going to do, right? I think that's really, really important. I think the, the, the thing that you always harp on when, when, when we talk is the management team, the management team. It's not all about mm-hmm. the numbers. Who's behind it? What have they done before? Um, 
you know, because obviously good people drive good good outcomes, right? So that that, that totally makes sense. Um, okay, so I think you said ten to twenty deals a week on 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 average. Is that what you said that you'd come across? So you must have a few in the pipeline. Um, what's up and coming IPO wise? Anything we should be looking out for? Look, there's there's a company. Um Nick called uh, Countrywide Renewable Hydrogen. I mean, green hydrogen is a really topical um, space right now. Um, obviously, central banks around the world, municipalities, councils are trying to push for zero carbon emissions, and we're seeing a, a really strong uh, theme right now with the ethical side, and, and we'll probably cover that a bit later on. Um, this company, Countrywide Renewable, uh, Jeff Drucker and, um, and Stephen Nossel, 25 to 30 years in project management and renewable energy. So once again, a really good team uh, with a track record of delivering value. Um, they've got a partnership with a company called Woodside Energy uh, to develop the H2 TAS project in Bell Bay. For those at home, I'm not sure if you've been following the green hydrogen space, but Fortescue Metals just picked up a, a tenement right next door to, um, to, to um, uh, Countrywide Renewable with Woodside Energy. So very, very interested. There's obviously a lot of money coming into that space. They've also got a partnership with Ampol, and Ampol have got a obviously a six point seven billion dollar listed company here in, in Australia, all the refueling side. So that's really really interesting. And they've also got three projects overseas. So that's a company that we're currently assessing whether we're going to take it to the ASX or the Canadian Exchange. But there's a lot of money coming in in terms of green hydrogen. Um, another company is uh, we're actually looking in the uranium space very very carefully. Um, Nick. Uh, once again, uranium, based on what happened with Fukushima and, and, and Japan, was, was sort of a, a ne- had a negative connotation. Having said that, since probably 2018, 2019, the price of uranium on a spot price has really picked up. There's a lot of um, opportunity. There's big, big uh, supply disruptions globally, and it's actually touted as a green energy, essentially, um, angle for instead of fossil fuels. So, look, um, Terry Uranium is a company, and uh, we'll probably go out and take that um, to the listing later in the year. And we're currently in discussions, actually, with a number of private and public companies to undertake a number of placements. One of them is actually taking um, plastics, um, essentially dirty plastics. They clean the plastic up, and they're making different reusable, um, essentially different applications for, for, I mean, fencing all the way to containers, um, leveraging off um, the clean clean side of, of their um, IP. So, look, there's a number um, that we're keeping an eye on, but like all of them, the, the due diligence is quite um, rigorous. And we only do uh, we only go live with a deal unless, as I mentioned, ticks our boxes or are willing to back it with our own capital. So the decision to list ASX, Canadian, US, what changes where you list? Yeah, good question, Jazz. Um, comes down to your network, I think, and and it also comes down to um, where the investors are, um, and it also depends on what the company is trying to do and and their addressable market. So I'll give you an example. We we took a business called um, Loeb, and and Loeb. Um, uh, for those at home and, and, and follow the whole psilocybin and the extract of magic mushroom. It's a really, really interesting theme with psychedelics. Now, You've got psychedelics, even though, even though they're not legal here, um, based here on the TGA side, they are getting a lot of recognition or they were getting a lot of significant recognition overseas in the US and the Canadian markets. So we knew for a fact that if we took low public and they essentially taking the extract of magic mushroom to treat depression, concussion, PTSD, mental health as a lot of us at home um is impacting a lot especially with young young teenagers coming through the mm-hmm. ranks so look psilocybin's got huge um empirical evidence and also a number of journals of, of med- medicines that is actually got um, some some significant benefits so what they're doing they're actually undertaking the clinical trials in the US 
to take it to Australia, we knew for a fact that the ASX probably wouldn't have pushed forward with it. And um, on the other side, the Canadian market was very, very pro, uh, just like they were pro-cannabis, pro-psilocybin. So we mm. made the decision to take that public in Canada. We listed it um, at $0.08 cents with a one-for-two option. I think it hit a high of around $0.27, $0.28 cents, um, a few months later. Now that's sort of stable around that $0.10, $0.12 cent level. So look, investors are still making 50% plus returns on their money, but at one stage, they were making three, 400%. Um, but that's an wow. example of a, of, a, of a company that, uh, you, know, you know, we really felt that, that taking it to Canada, uh, which is a very similar market to Australia in terms of the rules that I mentioned, the cost, et cetera, mm. um, was, was probably more, more, more suitable. That's interesting. Makes a lot of sense. We talked about the management team. Are there any other ratios that you're specifically looking for when a business comes on board? Like, let's say, for instance, debt levels, uh, might be income levels, just just to give some parameters. It being called the numbers game, we do like to throw some numbers in there. Yeah, so. yeah Marty, and I'm Marty. all over the magic mushrooms too. Marty. <laughs> so it, don't get me out of this house, Sue. <laughs> it really, de- it. it really depends, Marty. It depends where the business is at. So we 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 don't back really early stage businesses, and what I mean by that, they have to have a concept, a proof of concept, validation, and 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 maybe growth. Um, so look, as as I mentioned to you, like for examples, like a Build Exact, where that's growing exponentially and, and is still private. But there are pri- companies like some of the cannabis companies that are doing clinical trials or, or the, the, the medicinal cannabis, um, magic mushroom, psilocybin, that may never actually generate revenues, right? Um, absolutely. In terms of, in terms of numbers, um, you want to you ensure that the company, that the debt to equity ratio is not so high, right? Because that, that's a problem. You, you want to make sure that the money that is going into the company is actually going out to working capital. So relative to, to, to the debt levels and, and, and paying interest, right? So I think that's important. I think it's important um, we look at the management um, in terms of the cost structure, in terms of the cost structure, the corporate overhead. So the corporate overheads and, and how much they pay for staff, how much they pay for rent as a percentage of your market cap and, um, and really where their operations are. We like, actually, I'll tell you a funny story. This is going back five years ago. I met with a, with a company in our office on Collins Street that um, the CEO... Uh, was ran a three million dollar market cap company, mining company uh, in Africa, and he he was basically trying to 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 gloat in a way how many times he flew to Mozambique and back during the year, right? And and guys like me, there's 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 warning signals through because you know that every every dollar that 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 you invest in that company is going to travel, going to accommodation, going to their lifestyle. So look, we're always um, conscious of their of the cost base of the company as a percentage of the market cap. Um, and I think that's that's an important ratio to look at. Is there a ratio you should be looking at? You mentioned the the debt to equity um, ratio. It, it all depends on the balance each industry. It all depends on the balance sheet, Nick. Um, so so if the balance sheet is obviously strong and the net tangible assets is high, you know you probably don't want to have a debt to equity ratio of probably more than thirty forty percent. I suspect, but um, we 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 prefer companies that have a a lower debt. Having said that, debt is not too bad if you can get it at like a CBA rate or you know facility at three, four, five percent, right? We always get nervous when we see companies, and and we've got a few um, that we're looking at right now. But the, the debt, the debt to equity ratio is also high, but also the interest that they're paying on that debt with fixed and floating charges over their businesses uh, is over ten percent, twelve percent, fifteen percent. Then we have a bit of warning signals across the board. So that's something that we do keep an eye on. So, never minimum revenue that you're looking for. Um 
like would you look at look at as a startup and it has to hit a certain point before you get interested just out just out of interest I think anything below two million dollars Marty is probably too early um, but it, it yeah. does depend on the business I mean are they selling essentially seaweed products you know through 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 chains or, or are they providing yeah. research or are they medical device that uh, might have patents and IP and trademarks and TGA and C approval and yeah. FDA approval. It really IP depends value. on the line, yep. you know, the nature of the business, right, and where they're at. But, um, you know, for, for a business that's growing, we look at the growth, we look at the inside ownership, and um, we, we look at, at obviously that, that revenue mix of, you know, well over two, $3 million. I think anything below that is, is a bit too, um, too, too startup. I'm going to link a couple of questions in here that uh, we obviously had a dozen questions written down for you, but I, th- I think these two will go well together. So um, what are the, some of the new sectors that excite you? You know, we've sort of touched on green hydro, cannabis. Uh, I know you're big in the plant, uh, plant-based plant food space. So, And then second to that, uh, you've, uh, as in Peak, have recently launched um, an ethical division uh, looking at ethical investments. Uh, and why do you think that's important for, for millennials in this day and age? Yeah, so I might tie in the first, uh, sorry, the second question, and then go into the, some of the deals. Um, but but look, the the ethical side is is really interesting. I mean, the conversations we're having with millennials and uh, probably that that twenty five year old to to the forty five year old um, is is they're they're more conscious than ever about the environment, and we're seeing a lot of money being thrown into um, zero carbon emissions, essentially biodegradable food, plant based. You know, so so those themes, I think. Renewable energy, electrical cars, etc., medical devices are here to stay. So I think in terms of going to productive themes, we came across a really, really interesting company um, called Huros. And um, what Huros has is essentially a technology um, for, I don't know if people are watching at home, and I know we've had this debate, Nick, um, over, over dinner, is whether you should be eating plant-based versus meat. But what they've got as well is um, essentially a technology with, for, for curated meat. So, so cell-based. So they're actually creating... Um, meat out of the cells at, 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 um, and they've got a technology essentially to fast track the growth of those cells. So look, we're looking at that business very interestingly. I think cell-based meat and um, moving to plant-based is, is a topic that is, is um, here at, at front of mind. Um, medical devices, I think the whole artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, medical device space is, is heating up. So I think that's here to stay, and and I'll give you an example. I know we we're investing in a company called Nicolab, and I think I mentioned to you before that they take um the the biggest problem when you've got a stroke is by the time you have a stroke and you go to hospital and have a CT scan and the radiologist looks at it, neurologist, it might be three or four hours, and by the time you've 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 worked that out, that equates to for every minute that you've had a stroke, that equates to twenty healthy living days. So what this company does, it takes the the CT scan and uploads it on the cloud. And with a matter of seconds, within 99.99% accuracy, can tell you the stroke, the location of the stroke, and, and whether to operate or not. I think that's mind-blowing. And they've recently wow. received FDA approval, Philips on board, and rolling that technology and software across hospitals, not only in Amsterdam and Europe, but also now in the US. So I think going back to your question, um, I think it's ethical investing and sustainability is, is front of mind for when it comes to investments. But there, there's some revolutionary things happening around the world, and we, we like to back great companies with great IP, with great trademarks, with great protection, with great management team. Um, that that's really uh, front of mind. That that's you know that that can actually go out and, and create a, a really big, uh, you know, big big difference in in the world. Mate, that's awesome, Niv. Look, 
Um, I've got a business called Future Advisory. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm hoping you might be able to help me out uh, so I can have some things to talk about. We get asked a lot, you know, what's what's happening in the next 12 months? What's happening in the future? Where should I be investing? What should I be doing? I guess in, you know, tying it back into the stock market as it is today, what we're at price at an all-time high. What do you see in the next 12 months? What, what's your feel? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. We, we could be here probably for hours. Jay's probably having a beer in person next. But look, the, the, the thing is... <laughs> I think I think look global markets are at all time highs. You've got the Dow Jones at thirty five thousand. I think the all ordinaries are you know multi year highs, right? Mm. Um, it comes down to the to the outlook statements. We've got the U S reporting currently at the moment, and what we are seeing across the U S reporting is I think over seventy percent, seventy five percent of those companies actually reporting uh, better than expected earnings, and um, wow. that's because things are, are really opening up in America. You've got low interest rates, the lowest that they've ever been, essentially potentially moving to negative interest rates. The biggest concern uh, that's happening globally is inflation. So, um, and, and that's the price, not only from from supply disruptions, um, but also from demand and, and pool pools. So, we're we're seeing inflation increase the highest on a monthly um, level in over thirteen years in the US, and that is a concern because if if prices do increase, then interest rates will have to rise, and and then you have to ask yourself, well, if interest interest rates do rise, what impact does that have on consumer confidence, mm. on business confidence, on retail sales, etc.? So we're watching inflation very very carefully in America. We're also looking here in Australia. We've got the reporting season kicking off. I think next week, at the end of next week, about a week or so from here, and uh, we'll be looking at not only I mean how corporate Australia is impacting with the whole COVID situation, but what the outlook statements are looking like. So. I think, look, the, the, the market is vulnerable um, at the moment. I mean, we, we're obviously, as you mentioned, price at all-time highs. I think you have to be, as, a, as a, an investor, very stock-specific, sector-specific. I think there's going to be mm. a lot of green sprouts um, and green shoots across any industry. But once again, it comes down to backing the right horse and backing the right team. Well, Niv, Niv, I'm about to invest in magic mushrooms here. You've got me excited. <laughs> how, do I, how do I work with you, mate? How Do I need to have... Like a hundred grand, do I need to have five grand? How do I get involved if I want to? If I want that type of advice and you know strategy piece? Yeah, look, when when I set up Peak, we were doing everything, Marty. So what I mean by that, we're doing portfolio management and reviews and asset allocation. We had a software portal and looking at cash and structured products. And one of the guys I used to work for me said, "Look, Nick, why don't we do one thing and one thing only? And that's mm. to bring the best deals to investors that we back with our own capital. And that's all we do um, right Great now. Idea. So. So look, we don't charge anything to onboard anyone. It's all free to get a morning wrap or afternoon wrap. So if anyone's listening, more than happy to go to the Peak Asset Management website and log in your details. But um, essentially, we open an account. Um, everyone's got an app. It's with Apana Self Wealth um, that we work with as well. And really, it's deal by deal specific. So what I mean by that, Marty, is that when we've got a deal that we think is 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 interesting, it ticks absolutely each one of our boxes, and we're ninety nine point nine nine percent sure it's going to make Nick and Marty and Jace money. Um, remember, we're co-investing exactly the same price, same terms as you. We send it out. We'll SMS it and we'll send it an email and it will be personalized. We'll say, hi, Marty, trust all is well. We've got a new pick opportunity. I can be interactive with one-for-one options. There's normally about eight reasons why we're co-investing, why we like it. You can have get access to the presentation, get access to the website, read a bit about the company and the term sheet and go, right, this looks really interesting. You then put a bid in for could be two, as low as two thousand dollars, all the way up to we've got some investors investing one, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in the deal. So, so to answer your question, it's deal by deal specific, maybe as little as two thousand dollars per deal. And remember, um, we're, we're we're co-investing with you um, all, all along the way. And um, I'd say ninety percent of our investments are in that listed 
space. So companies are already listed on the ASX or Canadian exchanges and we come in and through an IPO or an placement, but about you know one out of 10 or two out of 10 are in that private space. Um, if you are in the private space, remember you have to be accredited professional investor. Um, but yeah, look, everything that we do, we're co-investing and it's very deal by deal specific. I, I just think that co-investing holds so much weight that you're in it together. Um, I, I really love that uh, that context. I, I think as an investor, you want someone to be there with you, not only from a strategy piece, but they've got skin in the game as well. Um, rather than probably some of the older models, if you if you've got a stockbroker, uh, they they make the commission off uh, you know just buying and selling the stock, and that's that's where it ends. So I think this is a really good alternative investment, but I think it's certainly one yeah worth exploring. It's brilliant, mate. Love yeah, the idea. Yeah, Niv, fantastic, mate. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, guys. This has been episode seventeen of the Numbers Game. Niv, big thank you for me. My biggest takeaway. Aside from magic mushrooms that we've mentioned too many times, so Marty and I probably need to get some help ourselves. Um, it's actually how accessible this is for the general public. I actually thought we we're going to get through this whole episode and have people potentially sitting at home going, well, this is out of my reach. I can't do it. But I mean, just the basics of getting some education, signing up to an email so they can hear about things that are out there and actually just being involved in that education. I think that's awesome that this is actually accessible for many people. So thanks, Niv. Yeah, thanks for having us, Nick and Marty and Jay. It's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to hopefully coming back again in future. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Game over.